Happy to have you aboard here for the really big barbecue show. Boing. We cook because we have to, and we grill because we want to. Hit me. Fine. How you doing? <laughs> you have a great show. I'm a big fan. Boing. So what? What? What seems to be the problem here? This man looks like he's dead, and he's in the in the crackle. Charbono. It's all about the Charbono, dude. Succulent fish. What? He ate two feet before we nursed. Oh, listen, Laverne, it's shut your face. I'm shaking like a dog shit peach seed. <laughs> we have top men working on it right now. Top men. Top men working on it right now. You're in the second hour of the Barbecue Central Show. Congratulations. You've done it. It's the show that talks about all things important in the world of barbecue and grilling. We do it live every Tuesday evening from 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern. If you missed the first hour, you can go back and get that podcast. That was released on Wednesday. You're listening to this version here on Thursday. That's the complete second hour. Still to come, Joe Heitzberg from Crowd Cow. Also, I'll be trying to check out the new call-in feature. So who knows what will happen with that. Uh, If you want to try that right now, we might be able to work up something. 216-277-2120. There may or may not be a screener that shows up on that. Name, where you're calling from, what you want to talk about. You get forwarded to me. You'll hear the show live. At that point, I will try and pick you up where I can fit you in. 216 277-2120. Two seven seven two one two zero. If you're listening to this on Thursday, don't call in now. Don't do that. Had guest audio for the last ten at the bottom of the hour. That's what I'm talking about. Thank you, John. That is John Dawson, who, by the way, was attending his daughter's graduation from high school and had earbuds in for the show. Man's game, John. Love that. So we're all set. We're all back up. Let me give you a quick recap. You would recall last week I did an interview with, I guess, what's my second cousin? He's my first cousin. His kid is his kid my second cousin? I guess. My cousin's kid, let's just say that, Ben Volpe. He turned out to be a champ last week. First time on the show talking about JDRF and... His diagnosis with type 1 diabetes eight years ago, 14 now, was six when he got diagnosed. And we were doing that telethon kind of a thing to get him to $6,000. And right now, I have a total for you. After the show, after other donations throughout the week, not only have they met the $6,000 goal, but they have increased to $7,000. They're currently at 6500 bucks. So if you are so inclined, go through my Facebook page and uh, troll down through the posts and find the Ben Volpe post that I had made last week. Click on that and make a donation. You have all the way through the uh, week, the rest of the week. I believe the walk is on Saturday, if I'm not mistaken, on the 10th. So... Check it out. Make a donation if you can. Let's see if we can't push him to $7,000. Nobody matched my personal donation request. 
where if you could do a singular of 500, I would match it. Here's the good news. I'm still going to kick in 500. That's right. Not just because it's my cousin, but it's the right thing to do. And the show can do it. And it's great. So congratulations again to Ben on a successful trip into the Barbecue Central show Jungle. You sounded great. I listened back to that interview again this afternoon just so I could reacquaint myself with it. And he talked very well, man. Ben, I'm very proud of you. You did great. And you kind of laughed at me when I said I did a half marathon and you knew I was <laughs> dropping a line of BS. Thank you for that. Now, I do want to make a special mention to one of the show sponsors. I briefly talked about him as we got into the Emily Park interview, which you guys did not necessarily hear, or you heard 50% of that whole interview. And that is one, Dave Bosca of Butcher Barbecue Products. Dave snagging yet another grand championship this past weekend at the Boots and Barbecue Festival in Claremore, Oklahoma. With a 702.2. I think everything that Dave has won this year has been 700 plus. That's a lot of 700 pins that have been going Dave's way. Good job, Dave. Also, he's sitting third overall in the KCBS Team of the Year points race right now. By the way, thanks for the new product hookup, Dave. Sweet chili, I'm sorry, sweet chipotle rub. The new grilling addictions flavor which I believe is like Dave's private blend grilling addictions flavor. And, oh man, just when I thought my favorite grilling oils flavor was butter, we may have a 1A, 1B. Dave has now come out with honey grilling oil. (laughs) What? Yeah. So once again, not over-the-top flavor profiles. Honey kind of sits in the background, not in-your-face honey, and depending on what kind of honey you get, like if you eat real good honey, I mean, that flavor profile is right up in your grill. Not necessarily in a bad way, but nothing that you can ignore. Dave sits behind the scene a little bit. I got the products on Saturday, took them outside. Neighbor Desmond was out. Actually, neighbor Desmond was sitting across from me this evening about 15 minutes ago, and I had nothing going. I saw a call, and then I did. Oh, somebody's calling in. Ooh, this is going to be great. But there, there's no caller's name. I can't pick it up without name and where you're calling from, right? Right. So I took the stuff outside. We made chicken wings with the new grilling addiction seasoning, and everybody said that the flavor was outstanding. That's number one. We did... The sweet chipotle rub on country-style ribs, pork tenderloins, and a pork loin roast, or a pork roast, I think. But started with the honey butter to adhere the rub, cooked to 145 slash 150. Then, when we tended everything to kind of keep warm, so because we were collecting all the food, we hit it with the chipotle, or I'm sorry, with the honey grilling oil again right over the top to let it soak in. Gave it that nice richness that you like from a butter and a little bit of honey in the background, which works great with the sweet chipotle rub. Oh, man. Highly recommend if you're in the market, you're a fan of the current Butcher Barbecue products, you got to give it a try. If you're on the fence about giving these Butcher Barbecue products a try, you have to do it. You got to do it. That's all I can tell you. 
right now I have to go to my Facebook page and pull this up because this is completely unbelievable. Uh, I got to I got to get it in a better shot here. Look at this thing. I don't I don't like the music playing in the background, but that's a whole bacon sandwich getting drizzled in cheese. Is anybody eating that? Look at this thing. Can I please kill that sound? Thank you. Holy moly. Look at that thing. I, I'm trying to get it in in a way that is not as obnoxious. I want to just see it in the in a regular post. Is that possible? No, of course not. Let me uh, see if I can't play it for you again. Look at this. Wow. Uh, what is it? 10 pounds of bacon stacked strip on strip on strip on strip. One bun at the bottom, one bun at top, and then cheese whiz getting danced all over the outside. Holy moly. But as I had said in my Facebook post, nobody's really eating that, right? I mean, is anybody else seeing that? Nobody else is eating that. I guarantee it. I guarantee nobody's eating that. All right, so we're, 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 we're kind of where we want to be. I don't think anybody can hear me on this. Can I? Check, check, check. Yep. Right, let's just give it a try and see what happens. You're on the air. Go ahead. Hello? Hmm. That doesn't seem to be working at all. Let's see where we're at. Caller, you're on the air. No. That's not working. Sorry. That's a no-go. That Everything's on. The way it should be. That's, uh, you know what we call that? That's bringing the show to a screeching halt. That you know? That's what we call that. And I don't even see, uh, I don't even see my microphone being on properly as well. Anyway, well, that might help actually. Well, we'll see. Ten thirty-five. Stick with me on that, okay? Keep your great barbecue takes close to the vest. We're gonna go to Joe Heitzberg here in just a few moments, and then we'll get to your calls, maybe. I mean, I want to take them. Maybe we'll get them. That's what I'm saying. We'll see how the technology works out. I'll talk to you quickly about Green Mountain Grill, some of the best pellet cookers out there on the market today. Three different models to choose from. You have the Jim Bowie, which is the big daddy. If you want to do multiple racks of ribs, multiple pork butts, a couple different full briskets, Jim Bowie is the way you want to go. It's the one that started it all. Then you have the Daniel Boone, a little bit less in size. Not as much capacity, but still family size capacity. Both of these completely compatible with the pizza oven insert. If you like the Neapolitan uh, Neapolitan style pies, or if you want to get totally crazy, 
put in the pizza insert, and then rip out the baking stone or the pizza stone. Put in some grill grates, and then jack your cooker to 500 degrees within the pizza oven insert itself. With those grill grates, you got about 1,000 degrees to cook with. You can grill, you can do steaks, high heat cooking like you've never seen before. Right there on the Daniel Boone or the Jim Bowie, or as I like to do it traditionally, use it for the pizza, man. Nothing better than a Neapolitan-style pizza done in two to three minutes tops. Make your own toppings. Pizza party on the weekend. Pizza party during the week. It's just a few minutes. Get it up and running. Let that pizza stone heat up. Whatever your cooker is at, double that temperature. That's where you're at on the stone, and away you go. Now, if you want something that's truly portable, the Davy Crockett is something that you're going to want to take a look at. Not only can you take it wherever you want to go, if you're a camper or if you're a backyarder, if you're somebody that likes to go on camping trips, if you don't have access to power, Davy Crockett doesn't even care. You can plug it into the 12-volt accessory right in your car. It's great stuff. And you're not sacrificing a huge amount of capacity for portability. GreenMountainGrills.com is the website. That's GreenMountainGrills.com. Crowd Cow Talk. Coming up after this, stick around. We'll be right back. Show, giving you a monthly visit from a doctor of barbecue, a man actually named Meathead, the author of a barbecue bible, bloggers, reviewers, competitors, and manufacturers by the dozens. It's the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rempe. The segment being brought to you by Fireboard. Monitor up to six different temperatures simultaneously. Connect to Wi-Fi for cloud-based monitoring or connect via Bluetooth. And if you have Alexa or Google Assistant in your home, you're in luck because Fireboard is fully integrated with both. Find out more by visiting fireboard.com or call 816-945-2232. That's 816-945-2232. Hey, what if I told you there's a service out there right now that would allow you to actually buy a portion of a cow and then it's shipped to you for consumption at your leisure? Interested in learning a little bit more about it? I can help with that. Let's head to the hotline and welcome in co-founder of Crowd Cow. It's friend of the show, Joe Heitzberg. Joe, how are you, buddy? Hey, how's it going? Uh, absolutely fabulous, Joe. Appreciate you making time for the show this evening and a bunch of different places that we can run to this evening, of course. Uh, I guess before we get into your uh, Japan exploits, of course, that book, Craft Beef, To Beef yeah. or Not To Beef, I certainly want to talk about that. But uh, for the folks that are just tuning in for the first time tonight or haven't gone back through the extensive archives, 
Can we get a little recap on you professionally and then how you got involved with Crow Cow and what that vision is? Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, I'm Joe Heitzberg, co-founder and CEO of CrowdCow. Um, professional background, you know, I was born in Texas. I grew up in Idaho. I moved to the big city, Seattle. And aside from a couple of years in uh, Boston, I've uh, been here ever since, love it here. Um, worked in, uh, you know, in Idaho, uh, my parents were both um, computer people, actually. So I was um, not around farms or anything and more closer to uh, computer chips than potato chips, I guess. Um, so I, you know, I came up to school to study computers and all that stuff. And this adventure in CrowdCow is very recent turn of events in terms of, you know, I'm spending half my time on farms and uh, loving every day. Hey, Joe, um, do you have the call-in number here to the show by chance? The connection's not that great. Oh, no. Can you text it to my cell phone? Mm, yes, I can. And let me see if I... Make sure I didn't delete you. Okay, there you are. Uh, yeah, I'm going to do that right now. And right. Uh, just use that to call in, and uh, we'll probably get a better connection that way. Okay. Are you right. recorded live, or is this going to be edited? Or oh, yeah. How much time? We're, we're recording live, so uh, dial oh, right in. Oh, yeah. Okay, Here we go. All so, right, let me get the text, yep. and I'll, I'll, I'll click it. No problem. Thank you. There we go. What do you... What's the mantra of the show? We do it live. We'll do it live. Right. Do it live. I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live. No doubt. Hey, Joe. Hey, is that better? Oh, my God. Night and day. Great. Thank you. Oh, that's good. Great, great. Um, good to hear it. Okay. Yeah. So right when, uh, when did Crowd Cow become a thing for you? Um, about three years, almost exactly. A little more than three years ago, we were... You know, at that stage, it had probably just just uh, graduated off the napkin, and we were probably three years ago. We were talking to farms, uh, actually building a little website, to try to test the idea. We'd already uh, we already gotten enough to know that um, people would like to have access to quality beef that they can't find in stores, and know and have a direct connection to the the farmer who raised the animal, and feel that connection around the dinner table with them. You know. Um, and they just never have a good way to do that. So we, we had this idea, you know, if we traveled to farms and met them and learned and got to know them as people, and we could showcase who they were and how they did it and uniquely, the breed, um, the unique terroir, if you will, what the animals fed and the different kinds of grasses and flavors and all of that, and really bring that to a website where you could very quickly learn and, and understand exactly what you're buying, um, that people, yeah, I want that. Um, very, the antithesis of what you get at the grocery store, which is, it's a commodity. There's a couple of different labels that are confusing. Organic, what does it mean? <laughs> Grass-fed, what does that mean even? Farmers were telling us that there are different kinds of grass, and farmers were telling us that that organic thing doesn't mean anything. So we were like, wow, let's just tell your story, and why don't you tell us what, what you mean, and let's bring that to people. So we were, three years ago today, just preparing to, to wow. sell the first cow, which uh, sold and shipped just in time for July 4th. That was what I remember. We, uh, My wife and I packed that first cow. It took us 12 hours to pack the orders. <laughs> it was uh, difficult, to say the least, but we got it done. When you are buying a share, you become that stakeholder, if you will. Is that cow already butchered, or is it still like finishing or, or grazing, or how does that go from... Becoming a stakeholder to the 
existence of that current potential stake? Yeah, I mean, at this point, um, you know, in the business, what we're doing is working very deeply with the farms we work with. So we're, you know, working on their um, their seasonality and their production, um, so that we can we can, you know, um, so they can rely on us and we can rely on them. So at this point, you know, one cow at a time is is how we buy and sell them. But we're really working way ahead on the calendar, and that's for their benefit, the farms, and also for customers, so that you can place your order, um, get the exact cuts you want, and have it delivered the very next week or just in a few days. So is the and meat so, is the meat shipped from the rancher, or does it go through some type of a, I guess for lack of a better term, a, a crowd cow-approved facility to finish? Um, the meat is, is coordinated with, the, what we typically are working with is a little farms all in different regions all across the country um, and regional processors in those areas. So but the most typical um, scenario would be like these farms have a co-op. They typically will form co-ops as well as noticed as a pattern. Mm-hmm. And that co-op will share common resources like slaughter under USDA, et cetera. And then they'll typically be is small mom and pop butchers or larger ones in that general area. So we'll come into an area find the very best farms in terms of the quality of the meat and uniqueness of it and practices and work with them together to coordinate that whole process from, you know, we're always purchasing the whole single animals and then we're coordinating that supply chain. And in most cases, in all cases, we're bringing the technology. It's kind of the boring stuff on the back end, but it's really important to coordinate that whole process together with software so that it's for everyone smooth and efficient. And then for farmers, they're getting data back that they've never had before, like, how do my animals yield or how much marbling do they have or what did customers think of it? Was it good? Was it tasty? They've never had that data before because if you're a small farmer, typically you're a price taker in a commodity market where, you know, you sell animals off and you don't know where, where they go, you know, typically. Joe Heitzberg joining me here on the show, co-founder of Crowd Cow, the website crowdcow.com. If you want to check it out here while we're talking, um, Joe, I think, we first had our conversation uh, about two years ago or so. From that point to where you're at today, uh, how has the company grown and what kind of success have you seen? Um, it's grown tremendously. And the thing we're doing that's really unique is 100% of everything we sell is from a single, unique, named farm. So the crowd cow, you're going to know like literally the first name of the farmer and exactly what came from. Whereas in contrast to the beef world being a commodity, you know, the person behind the counter at the grocery store can't really tell you even what country it came from. And a lot of stuff that's labeled product of USA is literally because it was shipped over from another country. And then when it, it got cut down to stakes in the U S and they're allowed to say product of USA. So, and then you slap a label on there like grass finished or whatever, just to give you the consumer some indication of what it is. But we're very, very different from that world. So based on that, you know, it's resonated with people from day one. They said, like, that's just refreshing um, to know, like, oh, Angus is different from Piedmontese or to have Wagyu, you know, from a breeder who was got some of the original animals from Japan before they banished the export of those animals, of that, of that breed from Japan, and they're artisanally raising that herd here in this location and you know, Southern Oregon or whatever it may be, and to be able to buy that beef and know exactly the backstory and how it was raised and the 
you know, family that's been doing it for multiple generations and have that connection makes that experience of that meal just much richer. Um, not only that, but the beef is incredibly much, much better just night and day. Um, so that, based on that, we had a lot of word of mouth. You know, the first cow that we ever sold was an email to a hundred friends, but it sold in less than one day, um, which was, you know, $6,000, five or $6,000 worth of meat in one day. And it was, People, um, even on that first cow, uh, there were names on that list that were not friends of ours. They weren't the kind of people we, we emailed. They were the friends of friends. So it was like, there was completely resonant, like, wow, this is cool. I'm going to go tell two people. And so we've had a lot of that word of mouth. And for the first year and a half of the business, it was really just keeping up with, with that and really wanting to do a great job in terms of like, you know, we want to we want to make sure that the funds that we Requests are very well vetted. Like we've we'll never we've never sold anything that we didn't actually spend a lot of time walking around with the farmer on the fields and, and we, that we tasted the beef and that we vetted in that community their their reputation and so forth. And that's that regular takes a lot of time. So for a lot of, for the first you know I remember first six months we were we weren't even up to selling one cow a week. Uh, far from it. You know, at that point. So at this point you know we're we have farms in all over the country um, and, and, and close to every major metro, pretty much. Um, and then we're able to service people, you know, whether it's, you know, if someone lives in the eastern quarter of the United States, they have a ton of local beef choice, local beef producer producers they can choose from that, or they can pick some beef far away from them that has some interesting characteristic that they can't find in their local market because it grew up in a different environment. You know, a lot of breed choices in different areas are, are different because the environment is different in those areas. It's different to raise a cow in a freezing cold Montana than it is in hot Texas. So the breeders adapt um, what they're raising and how they do it, and that affects the flavor and quality of the beef in different ways. It makes it really fun to explore. How, how many ranchers are you currently working with right now? Um, it's in the many dozens at this point, and we're adding a lot all the time. Um, we have a huge backlog of, of ranchers that want to work with us, and we, we do work from that list to try to surface the ones that would make the most sense in terms of, um, you know, we're looking for the highest quality. We're looking for unique, um, high-quality beef, and, and that's different from other beef we already have. We're looking for, um, you know, a great family story and multi-generational um, qualities to it because those are the ones that tend to be you know, they're not just clocking in to some, you know, companies. People work and they, they clock into a job and they clock out. And, you know, they just, you know, the, the big beef companies just care about lowest cost feed, highest calorie meal, pack as many animals together as you can. We're not interested in that stuff at all. We're interested in, you know, well, my great-grandfather started this and he had the original DNA from the original Angus herd and we kept that close herd DNA all these years and here's how we do things because that's how I grew up on the farm and learned it and we're interested in that because that, that's for one it's just better beef Joe this time of year you see a lot of barbecue and grilling cookbooks come out um, you also release a book Craft Beef to Beef or Not to Beef uh, what can you tell me about that book and why did you feel that this was a time to have it released yeah I mean so the beef the book is called Craft Beef a revolution of small farms and big flavors. And it's a journey into this world of craft beef, which is 
small producers with high ethical standards dedicated to high quality in small batches that care. Um, and it's to tell their stories and also the stories of chefs and butchers and others who are enjoying that exploration, which for us, at least at the time that we got into this, was totally new. You know, So this, this, the book started, the backstory of the book was, I, you know, we would go out to these farms and just walk away with our jaw just agape at things we'd learned that we just we'd never been told or never read. You know, on Google or researching, we're trying to learn for our business. We get talk to farmers and they would just blow our minds with information we never considered. So, for example, you know, in my mind when I started three years ago, I was like, well, there's grass-fed beef and there's green-finished beef, right? Yep. Those are the two types of beef. And one of the very first things, it was the first or second ranch I'd ever met with. I'm driving out there, and I saw a sign that said grass-finished beef, and I had a phone number. So I got to the farmer, and I said, oh, by the way, I saw that sign with the phone number down the road. Is that yours? She's like, no. I'm like, well, can we introduce them? Because we'll be looking for more grass-fed beef. And she's like, "Uh, I could, but you probably don't want their beef. And I'm like, why not? It's grass-fed beef. Grass-finished beef, right? 100% grass all the time. Like, I know what I'm talking about. Grass-fed and grass-fed, grass-finished are different. <laughs> right. That's grass-finished, that's what I want. And she's like, well, 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 you don't understand. That ranch doesn't have enough grass to feed their animals. Oh. So in the winter, when grass doesn't grow, they don't have enough grass to feed them. And they're not buying grass in the winter. And I know that because I'm the one that sells it. Oh. I have enough extra grass that I provide my grass to all the farms around here. Wow. They don't buy it. So their cows are skinny, and they're going to taste tangy and weird. And I'm like, oh, my God. Mind blown. Then I'm in, you know, Montana walking around, um, and they're, like, pointing at the grass. They're like, this is the Montana clump grass, high protein, even when it dries out and turns, turns yellow. All of the grass degrades its quality when it turns yellow. So I'm like, whoa, mind blown again. But there are different kinds of grasses, right? Or grain-finished beef, my first grain-finished craft grain, pasture-raised beef. Animals out there on hundreds of acres, roaming, pasture is natural. Horseback, you know, the whole herding cattle, all that stuff. I think they're brought down to be fed out with grain. So I meet the farmer, and I'm sitting there. I'm like, first of all, like, why why do grain-finished? Like, do grass-finished? You'll make more money. It's a bigger market. It's the trendy thing. And he looks at me and he goes, well, grass doesn't grow out of here. I'm, on, I'm in eastern Washington where it's dry. I go, okay. He goes, yeah, I guess I could truck it over the mountain pass in trucks. That's the only way I'd be able to get grass. But then that's not really a good environmental thing, is it? You know, like the irrigate, that would cost like hundreds of thousands of dollars. I'm just like, yeah, I never thought of that. So, okay, what is the grain you use or whatever? And he like points over to his left and he's like, see that cornfield? That's it. I wow. grow the corn. That's what we've been doing for three generations. Okay, so you grow your own corn, that's the grain. Okay, get it. And up there in those hills, we were just on horseback, like hundreds of acres, open pasture, beautiful country. These animals are so well cared for. I'm like, where's the feedlot? And he's like, you're standing in it. It's right here. We're in the feedlot. I'm like, this isn't the feedlot I saw on, you know, Calspiracy or Food Inc. or whatever, you know what I mean? I'm like, this is a feedlot? This has got to be, this is crazy. This is this is great finish, but I thought it was associated with all that industrial stuff. No, this is beautiful. This is wonderful. I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm not going to be the buyer of beef 
it says you got to have this label, this sticker. It's got to be this. Why are you doing grand? Screw you. I'm going to be like celebrating what you do. Fourth generation farm, growing your own corn. This big open seed lot that looks like a pasture. Like, what the heck? This is amazing. This is wonderful beef. And so our, our thing became, our light bulbs were like, we're going to be not telling producers what to do or consumers what to eat. We're going to make those two worlds connect directly together, and we're going to give people access to this incredible, rich tapestry of beef that they don't even know exists. And how exciting is that? And then we write about it. All these little stories and anecdotes are going to go into a book, so, you know, we decided better just blogging about it or whatever. Let's actually research it in more depth with rigor. Let's interview a ton more people. Let's wrap it all together in a, a book. And, of course, you know, what better name than craft beef? So that's what we did. And the book just launched uh, on uh, Saturday, just a couple of days ago. Nice. Um, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about before I let you go, and I appreciate the time tonight, Joe, is the olive feeding cows that I think are, yeah. that's over in Japan, like in a very hyper-specific region, correct? Correct. Yeah, so talk to me so, a little bit about like how that whole thing came about and, and how quickly you guys sold out of that. Yeah, so about a year, so I was, funny enough, I was 20 years ago, 25 years ago, I was a double major in Japanese and computer science in my undergrad. Hmm. And I spent about a year and a half in Japan um, learning language and five years studying it, so I was pretty deep in. And I also lived on a farm in Japan, ironically enough. That was my farming experience. And on my 20th birthday, we actually roasted an entire Wagyu cow. Then I forgot about beef for 20 plus years, and I didn't speak the language for 10 years. Um, until this company, of course, and when the company started going, people were asking us for Kobe beef. So I'm like, I gotta do it. I gotta figure this out. What is it? How do you get it? Who are the people? I started cold calling Japan. Um, when I got to Japan and I was meeting people at the slaughterhouses for, in Kyo, uh, Shogo Prefecture, where Kobe beef comes from, a place called Awaji, where 70% of Kobe beef comes from, these guys were telling me all of the cool, interesting beef types that were in other parts of Japan. And one of them that really caught my attention was olive fed Wagyu. Hmm. Because it's like a tiny little island called Shodoshima, in a remote province of Kagawa, um, where this old man had figured out, it's very famous for all of this little island, all the famous olive oil, the best quality olive oil in Japan is produced there, best climate for that. And so, because they were so remote, though, these farmers were struggling to sell their beef, because you've got to take up Seattle Ferry Ride, and then two different trains, you've got to go across what used to be the longest bridge in the world to go to, like, the you know, the place that would take you to Osaka two hours later, you know? Wow. Just like, where do you market? There are no customers for this beef. So these guys, this old man figured out, like, if I can get the pressed olive peels from olive oil production, dry them out, that caramelizes them a little bit to make them sweet enough that the cows will eat them. Hmm. And then it actually will impart the oleic acid, the omega-3, the monounsaturated fatty acids from the olives into the beef itself, making it healthier. Wow. Which, in Japan, they measure that stuff scientifically. So this beef becomes, boosts this oleic acid, which is good for you, and um, is what is, Wagyu is known for, is the fat. So, um, yeah, he started doing this, and it caught on. This is only about eight years ago um, that he started this, and it caught on 
And so, of course, the these guys I was talking to, like, yes, right, it's really different and cool. So I went down there, like, cold time, and I had a government office, and I just went down there, and I met Masaki Ishii, the guy who invented it, and all these people, and they told me, like, well, we can't get it exported because you got to go through the process through the CSDA and all this stuff. Yeah. And so, you know, I put it aside, and I so, you know, wanted it. Um, I got these from a different region, and I, there was... Um, they had relationships with a, a, a processor that was under USDA so I could get their beef from those farms out. Did that, sold it, was successful enough that I was able to go back to them and say, help me get this beef in this other region. Yeah. You know, because just you got to help them out and they need your help. And, and it's olive-fed beef. Let's them. go, right? <laughs> and, you know, it was so great. And, and they started talking to each other and then I just got a call from the the government office that I met with before on my first trip out there with all of these and they um, had got a call and say, hey, our farms are asking um, for you guys' help and for us to talk to those other guys and mm-hmm. we want to let you know we're doing that and they invited me back um, to come meet again and toward more farms than the, than the one I met. But Masaki Ishii, the guy who met it, he literally only has 16 cows wow. right now. <laughs> 16. There's not enough. So that's the biggest farm. It's the biggest one on that. Huge farm, 200 animals. I mean, that's tiny yeah. uh, for, for a cattle farm. So I got, you know, I got as much as I could because you'd want to fill a container, you know, make it worth the, the effort of importing it uh, and all that. But, um, you know, we only had it available for one day for less than an hour. Wow. <laughs> Sold out that that's quick. It. It's gone. It's gone I'm going to get more. I'm going to go back. I'll be back uh, there in July, and I've got I'm getting more on the way. But there's just isn't much of it. There's only less than two thousand animals total that are all of fed wagyu in Japan. Period. So they're just you know that's not enough to, if, to if, get much of it. If somebody's <laughs> interested in like keeping track of that, so they can get in on the next buy, like what's the best way to do that? Um, the best way would be certainly to, you have to be on our email list or you'll, you'll definitely never find out about it. Um, you follow us on Instagram where I will be, you'll know it's coming even before we email about it because we'll be doing Instagram stories when, when I'm over there and, and we'll be, we'll be teasing about it before it comes up. So we kind of try to generate the awareness out of time so that people don't feel like you didn't even tell me. So we'll, Instagram is a wonderful way to kind of get a sense for when it's coming. And then you got to be on the email list. Um, when we did the Olive Wagyu, we also made it a stakeholder-only event, meaning if you want a prior Krakow customer, you just weren't eligible to go mm. to buy it. Just there there's, we'd rather do stuff like that than like simply raise prices really high. Sure. You know? um, so it's more of a, a reward or a gift or a fun thing for people who are committed to the cause. Super fun, and I, I have to say, when I talk about Wagyu, I want to, I want to be clear on something really proactive, which is when we do Wagyu, we break it down. So Wagyu means Japanese cow, and there are four native breeds, and one Kodobu is really special, and here's this reason or not, we didn't sell it. make it really special, and it's very limited, it's very expensive. But when we've done all that work in those videos and the education, we are educating the market and creating demand for Wagyu in general, so that when we have a domestic producer in the USA, they're going to sell a lot more Wagyu. Mm-hmm. Because before Krakow has done this with the video and education, people just kind of like read, like, well, what is Wagyu? There's fake Wagyu and there's fake Kobe beef and 
you know, there's that wide year burger I got for eight bucks at the hamburger place or that wide year. You know, it's fake. You know what I mean? So we're, we're working with breeders in the U.S. We have 100% by DNA wagyu. There are only 20,000 animals in the whole U.S. that are wagyu, real wagyu, not fake wagyu. <laughs> and these breeders that don't even sell it as, haven't even sold it as meat, we're working with to sell them as meat. Like, we're doing the best for this. But I met with one in Montana three weeks ago, and she was she has that 100% DNA amazing wagyu. But in Montana, I mean, buildings in Montana is 200,000 people total. So nobody, there are no customers there who appreciate what she has. Right. She's just artisanal and amazing and got a hold of from the DNA. It's almost like a hobby slash passion. And I look at it and I'm like, this is incredible beef. I've got to get this to people. <laughs> and, and I've got customers who want it. We've got to figure out a way to get it. Who are the processors? So we're working through that now. That's kind of my view on it. But, you know, uh, because not everyone's going to pay 200 bucks a pound for beef. Right. You're going to pay a lot less to get something approximately as good. You know, not, not the same, obviously. When, when Japanese use their own, you know, even their water, rice straw in the feed, and they've been breeding competitively for, you know, 20 more years than it ever even was exported to America, and the gene pool is a lot bigger. So all sorts of reasons why Japanese wagyu is incredibly different than American purebred wagyu, but... But we're, um, my point is, we see it as in all these different varieties. You know, it's more like wine. We want to, beef is not a commodity. You know, our book, Craft Beef, is to say beef is not a commodity. Come on this journey with us. Joe Heitzberg is the co founder of Crowd Cow. Again, the website, crowdcow.com. Check it out if you're interested. Joe, always appreciate the time, man. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. You got it. There he is, Joe Heitzberg from Crowd Cow. Oh, All guests appear via the Traeger Grills hotline. Better than the Skype Yummy. connection. Wow. Uh, someday, like that's the bane of of all talk show hosts' existence, right? Is the crappy uh, what you're going to suffer through a bad phone connection, or you're going to suffer through a bad Skype connection? Both not that great. The phone was better. Oh. And he's got a lot of great info, but man, oh man, that was that was somewhat brutal. Crowdcow.com is the website. Actually, the 935 guest, who you only caught 10 minutes of in the audio issue that I fixed, Dennis Busso has some of that olive beef. He's a Crowdcow stakeholder previous, so he got in on that buy, and he said it was you know gone within 30 minutes or whatever. So go sign up for the newsletter, uh, buy some, become a stakeholder so you can get in on the good stuff like that olive wagyu, wagyu or how, whatever the proper way to say it is. And uh, yeah, why not? Crowdcow.com. Let me talk to you quickly about the Barbecue Guru. They have always believed that outdoor cooking should be easy because it can be, especially with the Monolith Barbecue Guru Edition Grill. The Monolith is the world's first temperature-controlled smoker with a built-in power draft fan. This means smarter control, greater freedom with automatic temperature control. Easily choose your cooking time and temperature and let the Monolith do the work of a sous chef or barbecue pitmaster. With minimal efforts, you can now have oven-like precision at the grill and serve the tastiest, juiciest meals each and every time. The website, bbqguru.com. That's bbqguru, bbqguru.com. Or you can 
call them at 800-288-GURU, especially if you have any questions about what to order, all that stuff. Don't guess. Call 800-288-GURU. They will make sure you're outfitted with exactly what you need, and then you are off and running. By the way, if you have a barbecue guru temperature controller already and you get the monolith that has the built-in draft fan already in it, you don't need to get a new controller. Just hook your controller up to the fan and you're ready to rock. All right, let's try the phone thing again. Open lines the rest of the way, 216-277-2120. That's 216-277-2120. Call now, go through the phone screener, he'll dump you in. I'll pick you up and we'll talk about whatever's on your mind. If you have a conversation you'd like to have or if you have an opinion on something that you heard in this show or past shows, it is all free game. Again, 216-227-2120. Stick around. Be right back. Continuing to produce incredibly mediocre content in an exceptionally professional way. You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rampey. The National Barbecue News is dedicated to all things barbecue. Their goal is to introduce new people to the barbecue world while keeping the barbecue enthusiast and professional informed on all the current happenings in and around the barbecue nation. They obtain this goal by offering timely new stories, new product reviews, barbecue event calendar, and unique recipes inside their printed products, website, social media pages, and email newsletters. Subscribe now by visiting barbecuenews.com. That's barbecuenews.com. Jason King in the instant chat was asking what teams CrowdCow might sponsor, which I'm guessing is on the state cook-off circuit, uh, Jason, and I believe it's zero. I guess from a business model standpoint, it would make a lot of sense for them to sponsor teams. I mean, I get that it it would to a certain degree from a name getting out there standpoint and a more broad base, but I don't think that that's crowd cows mantra or business plan or business model or anything that has to do with that. I think they're interested in selling cow by cow. They're trying to build out the amount of cow stockpile that they have. So you're able to turn around your purchase very fairly quickly when you buy a uh, when you put in a stakeholder purchase if you will and as joe said they're continuing to bring on ranchers after they highly vet them in order to have more choices and, and more availability and increase that turnaround even more once again 2162772120 if you want to try the new call in number i do have some Books to give away to entice you. I have a Jess Pryles Hardcore Carnivore book, and I also have a Bill Gillespie, The Secrets to Great Charcoal Grilling on the Weber book. That's currently all the books I have. Now, in lieu of a book, like maybe you're like me and you're somebody that doesn't like to read a lot. And by the way, I don't know if it necessarily speaks to anybody's academic ability if they like to read or don't so i don't know if you want to bring that around me 
But I'm not somebody that overly enjoys picking up a book just to read in lieu of something else. Like, there's got to be, to me, there's got to be better stuff to time kill than reading a book, like getting online and reading. It's not that I don't know how to read or that I don't like reading, but book reading doesn't seem overly enticing to me. And also, I go to sleep very quick when I read. So I'll stay away from that because I can fall asleep pretty quickly all on my own. But also in a lot of, you know, I'm reading all day. I'm trying to find out stuff about the show and I'm reading stuff to get show prepped and stuff. I think we've talked about this on the Embedded Correspondence. I believe Doug Scheiding, Texas Embedded Correspondent, is also uh, a a non-reader fan. Or maybe that was Steve. Either one of them. It could be either one, right? Of course. Anyway, let's go to Stover. He's on the air. Stover, how are you, buddy? Hello, Oh, my God, it works. This is great. It works. Yeah. So, And you can hear me all right, correct? I can hear you just fine, Greg. It's awesome. Hey, Stover. Cello. Aha. So, Stover, you're... Uh, Greg, I'm lost. I, I, I was in Texas a couple days ago, and I don't even know where I am now. I think I'll, I'm in Arizona. Hey, where in the world? Wait. Where in the world is Stover Harger? I, I, I. Right now, tell us where you are. Where are you? I'll, I'll tell everyone. Fans of the best barbecue show are probably very confused right now. Hold on. Wait a second. Do we have to do this? A Barbecue Central Show exclusive news update. All right. Reporting live from the breaking news desk here in Cleveland, Ohio, we throw it to Stover Harger III. Yeah. Well, you know, the last time I called into your show, Greg, I announced I was getting married. Uh, this time I'm going to tell the whole world that I'm moving to Portland, Oregon. You're moving to Portland, Oregon? Wow. That's right, the capital of barbecue. The wide world capital of barbecue. So you're uh, you're you're hightailing it out of literally a barbecue mecca and going to a literal non-barbecue mecca. That's exactly right, but you know, uh, it's about to become a barbecue mecca when I arrive. Are you fleeing from the law? I, well, you know, I can't talk about that on a, a syndicated radio. <laughs> of course, yeah, syndicated globally, by the way. This is a global reach. Right. I wanted to talk about that video. I'm haunted by that bacon and that cheese that you played earlier on. Now, the would you eat it? I mean, I get that there's a lot of things on the internet right now that are supposed to spark eyeballs and fascination, maybe clicks, so on and so forth. But in the end, this is a food show, and we want to know if you're going to eat it. Would you eat it? Well, I mean, anyone who's heard me on the best barbecue show in the past knows I would eat it. Doesn't mean I would like it, but I'll eat anything. Yeah? I mean, you've eaten eyeballs, correct? I did eat an eyeball. I sucked it straight out of a pig and, oh. and put it in my mouth. And uh, right before I was about to eat it, someone said, hey, don't eat that pupil. It's gross. And I was like, well, I'm eating an eye. <laughs> so how did that work out? Gross. Like, was it good? Uh, well, I mean, it's, it's hard to call it good. Did it taste uh, like chicken? I loved. No, it tastes like pulled pork, but without any seasoning, it was all right. But what I really enjoyed was a bunch of uh, you know famous pitmasters horrified at me eating an eyeball. Really? I think they'd be down. Yeah, right. I mean, it, evidently they've never done it. <laughs> I guess not. I guess not. 
Well, you know, I, I, I love to punish myself for entertainment, Craig. Well, if, uh, if it's one thing that we find the media darling Stover in high regard about, it's putting media first and everything else, even potentially personal safety, second. Or maybe third in some cases. Yes. Probably third. Yeah, probably third. You know, I love, I love calling into your show because my favorite question is, who's Stover? Yeah, I'm trying to figure that out myself. Who's Stover? <laughs> hey, you I, can buy my book. <laughs> Craft Stover. And uh, by the way, your phone, your phone connection is crystal clear, which I appreciate. Is it? It's actually because I'm in Tucson, Arizona right now. Yeah, it sounds Same great. Hotel. Sounds great. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Awesome. I got to. So let's do this. I'm gonna. I'm going to attempt to forge you back to the call screener. There's a 99% chance that you're not going to be able to hear him. So in like after five seconds, if you don't hear anything, just hang up. Well, he's got a lovely deep voice when I tried calling earlier. Yeah. Well, good. I mean, he's the he's the call screener. So I'm gonna try and send you back. So stand by. All right. All right. Thanks for calling. That's Stover, everybody. Uh, let's go to line two, and David Huff is looking to talk about the Barbecue Hall of Fame. David, are you there? What's up, Greg? Oh my God, we're two for two. This is great. So, what was <laughs> hey, it like going? Off, what was it like going through a call screener the, for the first time? Well, the first four times I got to John, but I did not get to you. And then this last time, I heard the show playing, like you said, on the phone, and I knew yeah. that it had worked that time. So, for by the way. The bacon cheese pile, I yes. had that last night for dinner, totally on my keto diet. Oh, that's Fantastic. right. I know. Fantastic. All right, hold on a second. Since we have you on, I know we got one a couple weeks ago, but where, where are we at on the weight loss for keto? So Memorial Day, some holidays, some mac and cheese on the smoker. I took off keto for a bit, but the good news is I have not gained any of it back. I have still maintained where I was before I got off of it. So oh, all right. Positive. So you're yep. like uh, on, on the maintenance. Uh, well, I have a lot more to lose, but at least it's nice to know that if I take a break for a week that it's not completely off or all gone to hell. Yeah, I get it. So uh, now it says you want to talk yep. a little bit about Barbecue Hall of Fame, or is that just a trick to have him type something in that line? No, I thought the interview was great. I thought Emily was very informative. I thought you asked some good questions. I wanted to ask you, do you? How did you feel about the answers? Uh, I mean, I think she answered uh, as best that, that she could answer. I thought that one of the most disturbing things that I learned, other than the fact that I think she wanted to say that Guy Fieri being in the Hall of Fame was BS just as much as I thought it was BS, but she said it a lot nicer than right. I did, um, is that there were only 25 unique names nominated. 25. Which means... That I had a one in twenty-five chance in actually making it into the barbecue hall of fame because I know somebody nominated me. Actually, I know more than one person nominated me. Now it does piss me off that one person made a nomination for you know. So uh, Adrian Miller nominated Columbus B. Hill, and Columbus made it on the barbecue hall of fame short list of nominees. Didn't make it in, but made it on the short list. And somehow, I don't get on the short list. That was a little frustrating to me, which means somebody in there is actually listening and knows that there may or may be an agenda that I have. But 
I, I don't know. I mean, I'm a little shocked that only 25 unique names come up in conversation. Yeah, if she got 75 nominees and only 25 unique names, I mean, that does seem strange. It also says, hey, you were one of 75. Those, those, that's the worst odds that you're going to get is one in 75. You're well, going to make it one day. I'm going to actually contradict that here because I bet. So that was 75 total nominations, which of those 75s, there were duplicates. I want to know how many times yep. I'm in that 75. Is it 10 times? Is it 20 times? Is it 30 times? Is it so, is it 60 times? And people are like, he's just using it as a popularity contest, and I actually have the most nominations. I think that might be a little bit closer to the truth. Yeah, I was going to say we should have asked, uh, does the number of nominations that somebody receives have an impact on whether or not they're, they're nominated? Yeah, I mean, obviously it doesn't, or it could in the negative, which I might be more of a proponent, or, or I might be more of in the mindset of thinking that, I had too many, and so they shot me down. But uh, yeah, I mean, all in all, I was I was fairly satisfied with how she answered it. She didn't seem to skirt around any questions. She answered what I figured she would answer, and when she decided to step around some stuff, she did it uh, very professionally. Yeah, and just so you know, I listened on Facebook, and and the audio came through the entire time. It did. It on um, Facebook, I heard the entire interview. Yeah, it sounded hmm. great. All right, well. So I don't know. Uh, I don't know what was going on. Maybe that was just the uh, just the audio only feed, which rarely has problems. But but anyway, uh, Oklahoma embedded correspondent. It's Dave Huff. All right, now I'm going to try and send you back to John. And uh, oh oh geez, I mean the screener. And if <laughs> uh, like I said, if you get like eight or ten seconds of dead air, just hang up and then email me and let me know if you got back to him or not. Can do. Have a good one, right. Greg. Thank you. John's or uh, Dave Huff is going back to the screener. Okay, so that's good. 216-277-2120 in a live scenario after I refreshed works fairly well. I don't know if anybody got back to the phone screener after I returned them back, but so far so good. Let me go ahead and do this last read here. Big Papa Smokers. You know, if you head on over to Big Papa Smokers, you're heading on over to the best online shop for all things barbecue. Their curated selection of outdoor cooking and grilling supplies get you on the path to better barbecue results in no time. They have the great rubs and sauces, the rubs like Sweet Money, Cattle Prod, Cash Cow. They have that agreement with Simply Marvelous Barbecue, especially if you're a competition cook, you want to hook up with the West Coast offense. Granny's Barbecue Sauce. If you're looking for the new go-to barbecue sauce that pleases everyone, Granny's traditionally yet powerful flavors remind us why we fell in love with barbecue in the first place. Now, aside from the selection of rubs and sauces, all the good stuff, they have pellet charcoal and wood cookers available. Only the best. By the way, if you're looking for a versatile smoker that's easy to use, you want to check out that Mac 2 Star General Pellet Grill. Big Papa Smokers is the exclusive Mac dealer and even offers special packages. Not a fan of pellet smokers? Fine. Take a look at the Old Hickory Ace BP. It's the only charcoal smoker that Big Papa trusts to put on his competition barbecue trailer. If you're a backyard barbecue enthusiast looking for a durable and versatile grill that will last forever, the M Grill from Texas is just what you need. They're built like tanks. Not sure what kind of grill you need? You really can't go wrong with any of the grills or smokers featured on BigPapaSmokers.com. 
They have something for every kind of backyard cook. Check out their website today to shop their full selection. It's clear that Big Papa Smokers is the place to go for all things barbecue. Every product featured on their website has been hand-selected to help you barbecue better. Boost your barbecue skills with the help of Big Papa Smoker, the number one online barbecue store. You can call them toll-free at 877-828-0727 or shop their website at BigPapaSmokers.com. That's B-I-G-P-O-P-P-A Smokers.com. Let's wrap it up. Stick around. We'll be right back. This is Brian Mayer, host of Hot Sauce Weekly. And you are listening to BCRN, all barbecue and grilling all the time. Whole packers, full racks, legs and thighs, injecting butts. If you've never heard this before, you might think you found the best triple X show ever. Let's get back to the most homoerotic host out there today, Craig Rimpy. All right, we are back at it. Thanks again to David and Stover for calling in last segment and working the new call-in lines. It's still under test with uh, IPDTL working on some things here in the background. But a successful initial test, which is great. All the way back in the first hour, we talked with Emily Park from the World Series of Barbecue, talking specifically about the Barbecue Hall of Fame and why I'm not in yet. She did say she's seen my name. So that's good. Then we talked with Dennis Busso. He was at the most recent version of Barbecue University at the Broadmoor, hosted by Stephen Reichland. That's actually the second year in a row he's taken the class. So obviously, good times to be had. Lots of information there. And as he had said, Stephen Reichland, very accessible. Second hour, Joe Heitzberg from Crowd Cow suffered through a little bit of bad phone, a little bit of bad Skype. Good information if you're able to extract it. If not, we'll try to have him on when he has a little bit better connection going forward. Because he's got some really great stories that we didn't even get to. Big show planned for you next week, of course. Let me promote it. Tuffy Stone will be on in the first hour in lieu of Meathead from AmazingRibs.com. That is by choice. Meathead has work to do and graciously bowed out. Tuffy Stone will come in and we'll talk a lot about competition stuff, his winnings, and, of course, getting the nod into the 2018 class of the Barbecue Hall of Fame. Until next Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I will tell you this. September 11th, 2001, I will never forget. And until we see you next Tuesday, this is your program host and proudest American, Greg Rempe. Good night now.